Bioneers, Revolution from the Heart of Nature is made possible in part by Organic Valley, a farmer-owned cooperative producing local food with the future in mind since 1988. Learn more at OrganicValley.com. Welcome to the Bioneers, Revolution from the Heart of Nature. There's three problems. We're trashing the planet, we're trashing each other, and we're not even having fun. I think that people know in their guts that we are deeply on the wrong path in society. And that's why I think the moment is so ripe for change. It's all alive. It's all connected. It's all intelligent. It's all relatives. We stand at the threshold of a historic opportunity in the human experiment to reimagine how to live on Earth in ways that honor the web of life, each other, and future generations. It's a revolution from the heart of nature and the human heart. In this series, The Bioneers, Revolution from the Heart of Nature, we celebrate social and scientific innovators with breakthrough solutions for restoring people and planet, creating a future environment of hope. In cartoons, we often see a light bulb switch on to symbolize a character getting a bright idea. It's quite ironic because in reality, a conventional light bulb is a pathetic 4% efficient. Not a very brilliant idea after all. The startling truth is that our entire industrial system is as dim as that bulb. 96% of the energy it uses ends up as waste. You might say its main product is waste. With each seemingly innocuous purchase of stuff we make today, we leave behind a devastating legacy of waste that will envelop and even poison future generations for centuries to come. And it's not like all this stuff is making us any happier. Are we possessed by our possessions? Will the 20th century be remembered as the story of stuff? How can we change the story before it's too late? Join us for the next half hour as we explore Can't Buy Me Love, Annie Leonard's Story of Stuff, with environmental advocate and writer Annie Leonard. My name is Neil Harvey. I'll be your host. Welcome to The Bioneers, revolution from the heart of nature. In the 1950s, when Doris Day movies saturated the silver screen, the seductive image of her throwing open a gleaming modern refrigerator changed the world almost overnight. Ever since, we've been consuming like there's no tomorrow. The consumer feeding frenzy has gone global, but the United States still holds the world title. With only 5% of the world's population, Americans consume roughly 30% of the world's produced resources and the average U.S. citizen produces three-quarters of a ton of garbage annually. Annie Leonard says the bottom line is we're simply using too much stuff, and the mountains of stuff we're using are too toxic. As a student of environmental science, she toured the Fresh Kills Landfill on Staten Island, New York, a garbage dump that rises higher than the iconic Statue of Liberty. And I stood there as a sophomore in college and looked out over this endless sea of stuff. It was amazing. As far as I could see in every direction were couches and refrigerators and books and shoes and food. It was almost like a bolt of lightning in terms of my life purpose. I just said, 
we have a problem with stuff in this country. We have built our entire society on this one-way destructive flow of resources from beautiful resources that the planet provides to muck, and I just became driven to find out more about it. Annie Leonard went to work for Greenpeace International on a campaign that followed waste around the world. In 10 years, she visited over 40 countries. She toured hundreds of factories where our stuff is made. She climbed the mountains of garbage where our stuff is dumped. She got up close and personal with the environmental, health, social, cultural, and economic impacts of our obsession with possessions. Annie Leonard spoke at a recent Bioneers conference. There's a lot of different metrics of our stuff problem and the impact, but one that I really like is the Global Footprint Network that looks at humanity's overall consumption impact. So the Global Footprint Network says that now, with our current quantity of stuff consumption, we're using 1.4 planets worth of resources each year. Now, I was at a a meeting recently where people started debating, is it 1.4, is it 1.8? I was like, look, anything over one, it's a problem here, (laughs) because we have one planet. So if we're using more than one planet's worth of resource productivity, we're eating into the capital. And what that means is we're undermining the planet's ability to produce resources for the next year. And since we're getting a lot more people doing a lot more consuming, it's a real problem that we're eating into our natural capital. Who knew? Annie Leonard realized few people had any idea of the secret life of stuff, much less the magnitude of harms resulting from our seemingly mundane purchases. She saw that education is a central part of the solution to the global crisis. Leonard is the host and writer of the astonishing 20-minute film The Story of Stuff. She collaborated with Free Range Productions to create this instant online favorite of nearly 5 million viewers. 60,000 emails poured in from people in more than 200 countries and territories. They were passionate to share the film, translate it for local audiences, and translate it into social change. Right before I released the story of stuff, I went back and did some fact-checking on the script to make sure I had the most up-to-date citations. And it was a very sobering experience to go back um, and do the fact-checking for that script because on every single issue that I looked up, from rivers drying up to species loss to deforestation to toxic body burden, across the board on every single metric, the reports are saying dire consequences, consensus of scientists warn imminent collapse. Like, across the board, we are in serious, serious trouble. Dire consequences, imminent ecological collapse, all because the wealthiest 5% of the human species went on a fevered shopping spree? Indeed, overconsumption is consuming the life support systems on which all life depends. But that's only part of the story of stuff. Again, Annie Leonard. We're trashing each other on many fronts. On the health fronts, the toxic chemicals that we are routinely putting into our industrial production systems are causing such a wide array of health problems. These toxic chemicals are now so pervasive and they build up the food chain that they're now in every human body that's tested. In fact, some scientists wanted to find populations that were were not as exposed to these industrial production facilities, so they went up to the Arctic Circle and tested the Inuit to see what the background levels were. They found some of the highest levels ever found. 
ground because of the combination of a heavy meat-based diet, and these toxics build up the food system, and because of the way that the air circulation is, that it really concentrates a lot of these toxics and dump it on them. So it is now in everybody on the planet, including newborn babies. I don't know if you saw this study by Environmental Working Group that just was heartbreaking. They tested the umbilical cords of newborn babies, and they found an average of 287 industrial and agricultural chemicals in newborn babies. Now, if that is not an extreme violation, I don't know what is. We have allowed the all-pervasiveness of this toxic chemicals to permeate our society and our lives so much that it's reaching our youngest and most vulnerable members of society. We're also trashing each other on the (coughs) equity front. While some of us are consuming much, much more than our share, others are still vastly under-consuming. The number of millionaires is increasing. You see Forbes and The Economist celebrating how many new millionaires there are, but there's still half the world's population that lives on less than $2 a day. And that is really important to remember because when we say, oh, we need to reduce consumption, we need to realize a lot of people actually need to increase consumption for their very survival. I had said earlier that humanity is consuming 1.4 planets worth of resources each year. That's, as you can imagine, that's not distributed equally. The U.S. has 5% of the world's population and consumes 30% of the world's resources. If everybody in the world lived like we do in the United States, we'd need more than five planets worth of resources. And that's really important, too, because when we think about some of the, the hazards that we export overseas, you know that we export our hazardous waste to third-world countries. We export our banned products that we don't want. We export our dirty factories. But I think the most hazardous thing we export is this way of organizing society. We are bombarding other countries with this toxics-based, consumer-crazed, disposable, one-way flow of materials, and it is a huge problem. So that is the most hazardous export that we are guilty of. And so given that we're bombarding people with messages and infrastructure and loans and World Bank experts and everybody telling them to get on this path, there's more people, and they're going to be consuming more, and we're already consuming more than the planet can provide each year. So it seems like we have two choices. We either say, we get to keep consuming like this, and you, half the world's population, don't, and that's too bad for you, and it's kind of a a, a resource apartheid, Or we say, hey, we really need to power down in our society here. We really need to use less and use more wisely to make room at the table for our neighbors and our community members around the world. Why power down? Because the world's people have consumed as many goods and services since 1950 as all previous generations put together. And we have only this one planet. The global economic crash of 2008 heightened the contradictions of the runaway consumer society. Most of us now have less to spend, and those with the least face acute privation and desperation. Extreme inequity in the world is driving wars, terrorism, and instability, not to mention global warming and the mass extinction of biological and cultural diversity. And on an even more basic level, according to Annie Leonard, more stuff does not buy more happiness. Happiness is declining. There are loads of psychological studies that document how happiness is declining at an individual and at a um, cultural level. There's a really interesting report, a study by Tim Kasser, The High Price of Materialism. It is so well documented now that the more materially oriented you are, the more consumer crazed you are, the stronger stronger anxiety you have, the lower self-esteem, the um, stronger senses of insecurity. It's increasingly clear that after a point, more is not always better. After a point, more stuff is toxic, literally and spiritually. 
Again, there's a number of different metrics that look at happiness around the world. One that I think is very interesting is called the Happy Planet Index by the New Economics Foundation in London. There's a lot of studies of how happy different countries are. But what the Happy Planet Index does is it looks at how happy countries are per unit of resource consumed. It merges the happiness metrics with the footprint metrics. And so it's basically a measure of how effective a society, a political and economic and cultural society is at converting resources into happiness. So out of 170 countries, the United States ranked 150th. We're obviously below many in Europe, but also in Asia and Africa. I mean, it's really bad. We're not doing very well. But it's not surprising. We're working longer hours than any time in recent history. Many sociologists and academics say that we're working more hours now than we did in feudal society. We're spending more time shopping and watching TV and on the Internet on socially isolating experiences than we ever have been before. So where is that time coming from that we're spending working, shopping, and, and watching TV? It's coming from being engaged in community. We're spending less time with our family, with our friends and community, less time on leisure and recreation and arts, the things that provide real enjoyment. And we're seeing the the cost of this society-wise, where there's increases in stress and antidepressant use and anxiety. We're just not having fun. We have more TVs, but we have less friends. I don't know if you guys have heard of this guy in New York who they call him No Impact Man. He, you can look, at, look on the web at No Impact Man. He's really a fascinating guy. He decided to spend one year just massively reducing his environmental impact just to see what would happen. One of the things he said he's realized is um, when his one year was done, a bunch of journalists started calling him up and saying, so what did you most miss during your one year? And he said, you know, they're starting from the wrong assumption. They're starting from the assumption that it's a year of deprivation, but what he actually realized is that the 40 years prior he was deprived because he was stuck on that work-watch-spend treadmill. So one of the things he said he's noticing is how wrong our metrics are. The way that we measure success is through economic growth. He promoted an alternative metric. He said, how can we call it progress when we're playing charades less? So I think people know this. There's studies that show it. The majority of Americans, three-quarters of them show in recent polls that were too, they say that we're too focused on shopping, we're too materialistic. But I think people know it in their guts, too. Everything from the price of gasoline to the fear that we have in letting our children play in front of our houses. Like, I grew up playing on the sidewalk in front of my house. My, my daughter and our neighbor's kids, the kids don't play in the sidewalks in front of our house. I think that people know in their guts that we are deeply on the wrong path in society. And that's why I think the moment is so ripe for change. So that's the problem with stuff. We're trashing the planet, we're trashing each other, and we're not even having fun. But that culture is beginning to change. We're learning quickly that true happiness cannot be bought. As the performance artist Reverend Billy and his Church of Stop Shopping preach, it's far more fulfilling to be the gift than to receive material gifts. When we return, Annie Leonard recycles recycling and looks beyond the United States for solutions to the tyranny of stuff. This is Can't Buy Me Love, Annie Leonard's Story of Stuff. I'm Neil Harvey. You're listening to The Bioneers, revolution from the heart of nature. Thank you. 
To see Annie Leonard's film, The Story of Stuff, visit the Bioneers website. You can download this and other programs on the radio pages at www.bioneers.org. Leading-edge green innovators assert that we could produce everything we do now and more using completely ecological practices that do no harm. In other words, we can still have all the stuff we could possibly want, but without waste or toxic remains. One important part of that is recycling. But environmental sleuth Annie Leonard admits she has a love-hate relationship with that practice. She sees recycling as both a critical piece of the solution and also a huge impediment to solving the real problem of too much stuff. She says everyone needs to recycle because it reduces the waste coming out of the end of the production cycle while reducing pressure from harvesting new materials in the first place. So when it's done well, recycling is necessary and good. But there's a catch. Unfortunately, a lot of what's happening is not actually recycling. It's what we call downcycling. With true recycling, the goal is to reduce the natural resource input and reduce the waste output, in essence, to make a closed loop. So if you're making a glass bottle out of a glass bottle out of a glass bottle, that's true recycling. That's keeping the material in, in the cycle over and over. But with things like plastic that can't actually be recycled, it's actually downcycling. You're making turning a plastic bottle into a park bench or a, um, you know, some kind of plastic bag from the grocery store into fake terrapotta plastic pots. Or much of the plastic that's collected in recycling programs in the U.S. is actually exported to Asia. And I have been to dozens of facilities in China, Pakistan, India, Philippines, Indonesia, where our plastic is going. And let me tell you, it is not what conscientious consumers and recyclers have in mind here. Because of the popularization of this myth that plastic is recyclable, we see an actual increase in plastic use rather than a decrease. And the true goal of recycling is less stuff flowing. But because we all feel so much better about plastic recycling, plastic is actually on the rise. So it's really a big PR myth that's been, been pulled over the eyes of the American consumer. As Annie Leonard points out, most recycling is downcycling of bad stuff that never should have been produced to begin with. It's really a design issue. What other design choices do we have? Lots. After all, nature has done everything we want to do without mining the past or polluting the future. In nature, there simply is no waste. Everything is someone else's lunch of food or energy. So it's not just a technological issue. The bigger design question is what kind of society do we want to create? Annie Leonard suggests we look outside the United States to help us expand our cultural views of what people can value. Europeans are confronted with the same dilemmas, yet they've made different societal choices that are good not only for the planet, but also for the people. One thing that I think is useful to do is look at Europe and look at some of the different paths that Europe and the United States have gone on. There's a number of studies that have come out about how much people in the United States are working now. We have less leisure time now than we did in feudal society. Actually, between feudal society and now, there was a time period in which we had more leisure time. During the Industrial Revolution, we had gains in productivity because of industrialization. And Europe and the U.S. took very different paths at that point. In the United States, we chose to trade those gains in productivity for more stuff. So we continued to work really long hours, have short vacation, but we have a lot of stuff. 
Europe took a different path. They chose to trade those gains in productivity for more leisure time. So in Europe, they have shorter work weeks, they have longer vacations, they have smaller houses, smaller cars, less cars, smaller refrigerators. I don't know if you've been to a friend in Europe's house and you look at their little refrigerator and wonder how do they manage. They have less clothes dryers. They all have those um, racks you hang over your door. So they have less stuff, but they have higher leisure time, higher life quality indexes, better health. Um, they report higher levels of happiness. It's really a, a choice that we can all make. Do we want more stuff or do we want more fulfillment, more joy, more sustainability? There's a wonderful campaign called Take Back Your Time. It's saying, look, we don't need to be working like such dogs in this country. I mean, we are known internationally as workaholics. We are working ourselves to the bone. You know, for what? For the latest flat screen plasma television? It's really a choice about priorities. What's more important, our communities and our family or our stuff? In the United States, the first happiness surveys were conducted at the end of World War II. After 60 years, even though people's inflation-adjusted incomes had quadrupled, reported happiness levels have stayed about the same. In fact, as people and countries grow richer, each extra dollar of income buys rapidly diminishing returns of happiness. The Scottish philosopher Adam Smith famed for his world-changing invisible hand of the market, laissez-faire economic theories, observed this pattern 200 years ago. He wrote that the one problem with growth economics is that it leads to the endless pursuit of unnecessary things. With the advent of mass marketing and the consumer culture, that nonstop pursuit went wild, and with it, our consumer appetites have expanded exponentially. All of these studies show that people's conception of whether or not they have enough is relative. It's compared to other people. It's not just abstract, but it's relative. So it used to be that you compared how much you have and decided what was enough based on people in your community. You know, this is before television and all. And so mostly the people in your community were similar socioeconomic background, and so you were sort of similar and everybody was cool. But she has this concept that I think is so interesting. It's called the, the vertical expansion of your reference group. Now, through the bombardment of advertising and television, I'm not comparing myself to my next neighbor. I'm comparing my clothes to Jennifer Aniston's. Is that how you say it, <laughs> Jennifer Aniston? <laughs> whoever, whoever these people are. This vertical expansion of your reference group. And so just to be aware of some concepts like that can be very liberating because you can say, that's what's happening. Of course there's the individual level, and of course we can do things in our own life. You know, we can plan ahead, you can carry your own bag, you can buy glass. I mean, all of those individual things, of course we can do. But I'm very critical of these sort of, you know, 10 simple things you can do to save the planet. Because those 10 simple things, like carrying your own bag, I mean, of course you should carry your own bag. But that's not commensurate with the scale of the problem. <laughs> I think that those lists of 10 simple things, some people call it the individualization of the problem. We're not going to solve this problem by individual lifestyle changes. And it's interesting, the environmental movement is the only social movement I know of in history that thinks it's going to solve this problem, which is a bigger problem than we've ever faced before, by going to eat one person at a time and telling them to take their own bag and turn off their light and ride the bike. It's not going to work. The reason it's not going to work is that the problems are systemic. They are structural. And while we should definitely do those individual things... But those don't address the core structural nature of the problem. The best that those things can do, it's like you're, you get better at swimming upstream against the current. 
right? And, and those things are useful to me because they, they're sort of like a metal detector in finding the flaws in the system so you can figure out where you need to apply political pressure. But it's organizing that we need to solve this problem. It's reinvigorating our citizen muscle. When I show the story of stuff film, it's very um, sad to me that so often someone will raise their hand and say, what can I buy differently to solve this problem? And I tell them that actually the solution that we need is not for sale at the store. <laughs> the best thing you can do at the store if you want to solve this problem is turn to the person next to you and meet them and start organizing and find out what they're concerned about and attend a meeting and invite them to a rally and begin to rebuild our, our citizen muscle. I feel like there's two different parts of our identity. There's the consumer part and there's the citizen part. And the consumer part is fed and stroked and nurtured. And we spend so much of our time in that consumer part that we're really good at being consumers. We know how to bargain shop and what days and what places to get everything. But the citizen muscle has atrophied. And so while those individual things are important, we need to get over here and start exercising that citizen muscle again to rebuild our society, to rebuild a living, thriving democracy and change the fundamental structures that are in place that make it so hard for us to live ecologically on a day-to-day -day basis. Buried beneath the wasteland of stuff, Annie Leonard has uncovered the most basic question, the philosopher's stone of stuff. Are we consumers or are we citizens of planet Earth? Even if we could produce endless stuff without harming the environment, might we be happier if instead we chose to elevate the truly valuable? Our friends, families, and communities? Nature? Beauty? Equity? Our grandchildren's future? And might that be more fun? With the world population headed for 9 billion by the year 2050, Annie Leonard says these are choices we'd better make now. It appears that a new light bulb of change is switching on for a whole lot of us. It could just light our way to a far brighter future. Can't Buy Me Love, Annie Leonard's Story of Stuff. Downloads of this program and many other Bioneers radio shows are available on the radio pages at www.bioneers.org or by calling 1-877-BIONEER. That's 1-877-246-6337. Visit Bioneers.org where you can learn how to attend the annual October Bioneers National Conference and local beaming Bioneers conferences. Purchase the radio series, conference CDs and DVDs, and Bioneers books. Join the thriving online Bioneers community and become a Bioneers member or make a donation. All at Bioneers.org or by calling 1-877-BIONEER. The Bioneers, Revolution from the Heart of Nature is a production of Collective Heritage Institute. Executive producer, Kenny Ausubel. Written by Catherine Stifter and Kenny Ausubel. Senior producer, Neil Harvey. Managing producer, Stephanie Welch. Production management, Aaron Leventman and Chuck Castleberry. Station relations by Creative PR. Distribution is by WFMT Radio Network. Original recordings provided by Reference Media Group. 
Interview recording engineer, Jeff Westman. Our theme music is taken from the album Journey Between by Baca Beyond and used by permission of Hannibal Records, a Rykodisc label. Additional music was made available by Jake Sheps at www.jakesheps.com. That's Jake, S-C-H-E-P-P-S dot com. For more music information, please visit Bioneers.org. The opinions expressed in the Bioneers Revolution from the Heart of Nature radio series are those of the presenters and are not necessarily those of Collective Heritage Institute, the underwriters, or this radio station. My name is Neil Harvey. Thank you for listening. I invite you to join the Bioneers in inspiring a shift to live on Earth in ways that honor the web of life, each other, and future generations. This is program number 0909. Bioneers' Revolution from the Heart of Nature is made possible in part by Organic Valley, a farmer-owned cooperative producing local food with the future in mind since 1988. Learn more at organicvalley.com.